The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young, a podcast for shedders, produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. G'day. It's great to have you along for another episode of The Shed Wireless. We're going to drop in on a men's shed in Tasmania. Actually, it's a men's and women's shed, and it has its own vehicle hoist. We got into the topic of CNC routers with On The Tools in the last episode, but this time we look at spiral cutters. The only ones I know are vegetable cutters. But this is how to avoid tearing up the grain. Some shedders call it a cranky grain, and get an attractive finish on your timber. The screen legend Jack Thompson will be our special guest. In fact, we'll kick off this episode with Jack in just a minute. Let's not forget Rip Woodchip, that politically incorrect shedder who also likes an audience. We'll talk about fishing, one of my passions. And in Ask the Doc, we'll look at a problem that affects a lot of us, pain management, particularly opioid pain medications. Wherever you're listening, on your phone or in the car, or even better still, in the shed, you're part of something here. We're shoulder to shoulder, as the shed motto goes. Shedders all over the world are tuning into the Shed Wireless podcast. You're listening to the Shed Wireless podcast with the one and only JPY. Here on the Shed Wireless, we like to bring you lots of Shed talk, as you know. But we also have a bit of fun by inviting very select, famous Australians onto the podcast for a good old-fashioned chat. We're not aiming for any sensational headlines here. Our special guest segment is just about sitting down with someone whose work you might have enjoyed over the years on stage or on screen or in public life and finding out about their life now. I was wondering what Jack Thompson is doing with himself lately. He's now 80 years old, and it's a long time since some of those great movies like Man from Snowy River, Breaker Morant, and so many more. It turns out he's just glad to be alive, and as always, he's delightfully poetic about it. As you know, catching up face-to-face isn't always possible at the moment, but Jack was more than happy to pick up the phone. And by the way, this is history, because this is Jack Thompson's very first podcast. And a big welcome to the Shed Wireless to Jack Thompson. Jack, how's life treating you? Uh, it's treating me very well, mate. I'm on the right side of the ground. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had uh, you know, some health problems a couple of years ago, end-stage renal failure, but uh, I'm on dialysis now, and that dialysis is at home, so I choose uh, what part of the day I do it, three days a week, but... Uh, it's keeping me alive, and I love being alive. <laughs> yes, you certainly have a wonderful outlook as things like that. As I saw when you were doing a Brush with Fame with Arne Doe, Yeah. when he asked you if you had any regrets, <laughs> <laughs> I had a chuckle. <laughs> so I, I'm obviously, what do you, I mean, what, what do you like and not like about getting older? I think you've half answered that already. <laughs> Uh, well, I 
think I think um, I, I remember my mother saying to me, one of the things they don't tell you about getting old, Jack, is how bloody painful it can be. Uh, and you know, I I agree with that. With that, I don't I don't like uh, how painful it can be. Uh, the limbs don't behave like they used to. You can't run. You can't uh, you know jump uh, as you used to. Um, but um, I'm prepared to uh, live with that uh, discomfort in order that uh, I remain aware of the delight that the experience of living is. Yes, and you uh, you haven't you haven't stopped working either, have you? No, no, and and uh, you know, like you, I love working. I yeah. love what I do. So it's it's not a, a, a an unwelcome task. It's an activity that uh, I just revel in. I've, I've just been uh, talking to someone earlier today. Uh, the Wake and Fright has its 50th anniversary this year. Oh. I can't believe it's 50 years since <laughs> since we shot that movie up in Broken Hill. But it, but it is, and it's um, I I just love the activity of making film, and I've recently, in spite of uh, you know being on dialysis i've made a couple of movies and uh, i'm lined up to make another one later this year all things being equal (laughs) that's i mean it really is something isn't it it's it's quite incredible to still be active and uh even though you've had your problems i'm very fortunate that you know that that i'm not an all-in wrestler uh, for a (laughs) living or something like that you know you can go on being an actor They, they just give you part of the older man and then the older than that and then older than that if possible. I remember working when my first uh, job uh, professional acting was um, working on a, a series uh, on television soap on Channel 7 uh, called Motel. There was a woman working on that who I later worked with uh, also in that television series that I did Spy for and uh, Enid Lorimer she was 82, and she was still making film. Well, I'm not far behind that, and I presume that when I'm 82, I too will still be making film. Wonderful. Do you yeah. reckon it's true that with age comes wisdom? Uh, with age comes experience. There are some very wise children and some very unwise old folks, uh, and the other way around, of course. I think age doesn't, of itself, bring wisdom. I think, uh, as I say, it brings experience, and you can derive wisdom from that, provided you don't take yourself too seriously. Wonderful. Now, the best thing about your life right now? Ah, the best thing about my life right now is where I live, with my wife, the life I live. There's a line of my father's poetry. He said, I have what I have had, say I. That's probably the best thing about my life. I have what I have had, and I have what I have now, and that is life itself. Beautiful. Now, did you ever have a shed? Yeah, oh yeah, I got a farm and I got a shed. Uh, every Aussie boy needs a shed and I've got one here where I live. 
just been up the shed talking to the auto electrician who had to fix up some of the circuitry in my ute. Uh, yeah, the the shed's an important place, uh, you know, for that sort of thing. But also, I think if you want to just go and sit there, particularly when it's raining. If it's not raining, I go and sit over on the sand dune and look at the sea. But if it's raining, I can go up and sit in the shed and think about what it is I'm going to do next. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, now, any sage advice for older Australians, even though you have already given some sage advice, I believe? <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not very good at giving advice, John. I, I, I feel that um, I don't think there's anything that qualifies you to advise others how they should live their lives. I think it's uh, the ball's in your court from very early in your life um, and it remains there for you. It's um, there for you all your life as the wind blows. So I sailed this ship. Wonderful. And on that note, Jack, I want to thank you very, very much for being part of the Shed Wireless for this little podcast. Have you done a podcast before? No, mate. This is my first podcast ever. Oh, now that, I'm very, very, very pleased indeed to hear that. <laughs> That's great, mate. Thank you Thank very you much, very Jack. Thanks, John. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. On the tools, on the Shed Wireless, with John Paul Young. If you love working with timber, you're going to enjoy On the Tools in this episode. Marty's been out investigating the best way to avoid getting a cranky grain. I hope Rip Woodchip's listening. Yeah, we're at, uh, down at the shed today and we're here to talk of all things thicknesses. Just about every shed that I know of has a thicknesser. Uh, it's a pretty a pretty integral part of the shed. I mean, a lot of the, the timber that the sheds use is recycled and things like that. But in particular, I want, today I wanted to talk about these spiral cutters that I've been hearing about. I mean, there's, there's blades for thicknesses and then there's these things. Every shed that I know of that has these things swears by them. I'm here today with Rob Gregory from the Burrum Men's Shed. Rob, I've heard that uh, what you don't know about these things isn't worth knowing. Is that right? Yeah, don't build me up too much. It's okay. Planing machines have been around for probably 60 or 70 years, and traditionally they've always had straight knives. And the straight knives actually um, fit onto the, onto the cutters, and they are the ones that do the planing. The trouble is with straight knives is that they come around and they hit the end of the timber and they just whack the timber. They don't. There's no finesse involved. And uh, they actually um, virtually shred the timber off at a very high speed and that's why you get the smooth effect. A spiral cutter is an entirely different story because it basically cuts like a spoke shave. So, so mate, what is it? I, like, I, I'm looking at this thing now. It looks like, I don't know, it's just, uh, I don't even know how, how to describe it. It's... It's a completely different system. It's got these little square little modules on there. They're all mini blades, I think. The straight knives have always just been either two or three um, or even up to four straight straight knives along the cutter block. The, when Tom Bird created these spiral cutters, he realised that a helix is the way to actually mount 
the cutters onto the head. Apparently the, the metal industry has been using helix cutters for a long time. I'm talking 60 odd years, but for some reason or other the woodworking industry never never got onto it. Anyway, this guy over in America about 15 years ago realized that was the way to go, Made uh, machined a piece of cutter up in a helix form, which is a, which is a spiral, and he mounted small 15 millimeter tungsten cutters onto the cutter, onto it, and, and they were following the angle of the curve. So I don't know if most of the guys that we're talking to here would know what a spokeshave cuts like. It cuts very fine it, and, and it's got a smooth action. So these little cutters are slicing the timber. They're not battering the end of the timber. And so by having a, a series of tungsten cutters on there, um, you're able to get a very, very fine finish. But also the little 15 millimeter, they're square. So you can sharpen them on, they're sharpened on the four sides. So from a wear point of view, one, tungsten is 10 times tougher than high speed steel and two you can rotate the cutter so once it goes blunt on, on one, one leading edge you can rotate it now that may take six or eight months before you even have to do that yeah, I mean each cutter has four sides I mean you just swap them around so you're getting like I know with the, with the, the what do you call them the, just the, the long blades Straight straight knives, yeah. you've got two sides, you can flip them over, then you have to... So once he created this thing and realised, and he put it into a 15-inch thicknesses, the one that he actually used, he suddenly realised that he reduced the noise level of the, of the machine dramatically. And the reason he did it is when you think about those knives, they used to just spun around, hit the timber, and then went, went inside the machine, and they created a lot of airflow. Yeah. But they also created... Um, uh, compression of the air which compressed as it came close to the insides and then it released and that was that was noise the only way there was probably heat was given off but there was definitely noise yeah they're, they're probably the, the, the noisiest machine in the shed too yeah. these things and they're there because it's basically like a radial compressor it compresses the air and then releases it so with the with the, the little 15 millimeter cutters they're separated by about you know probably 25 millimeters and they can't compress the air therefore they can't release the energy so that's why the noise goes away so you've got you've got at least two two benefits by having a monospora one is the slicing action and two is a dramatic reduction in noise levels that's that's probably the biggest advantage that I hear about from the guys but Obviously, the finish is just superb as well. So it is. It is. Well, spoke as I said. I'm talking to people now that obviously would would know the uh, the significance of a spoke shave. Yeah. When I'm talking to younger people, I, I usually have to explain to them the slicing action. But um, the, and what it does is it means that if the the timber's got a a grain in it, if it's got some cranky grain, then the material is sliced off. It doesn't actually tend to tear out the the, the grain, yeah. and that's a big advantage because when I, when it's all boil down timber with swirly grain in it is a lot more interesting than just straight grain so if you can actually slice that with the thicknesser and don't get divots torn out of it and you know the grain being pulled out then you've got you're getting a nice piece of timber finished and you reduce your, when a material comes out it's basically like it's been sanded to 150 grit and again, most people understand 150 grit sandpaper. That's that's getting towards the finer level. So when it comes out of the machine, it's basically at the level straight off the blade. Wow. Now I know I know you've been involved in importing these things. Is that much of a fan of them? And I know a lot of sheds in the country have them now. And um, look, where so where did they come from? Are they from over from America or? These were originally invented by Tom Bird in, in Kentucky, the company called Shellex. And, and Shellex just means a spiral helix. That's the, how the word comes up. But it's been accepted as being that all of these type of cutters are a Shellex head. 
it was inevitable that the Chinese uh, would be involved because you know, anything that's not patented, they'll be onto like a tramp on a sausage. And so, <laughs> so um, they, um, the, and I was aware of the Chinese when I saw these things 15 or so years ago in Kentucky, sorry, in, in uh, Atlanta. And I, I suppose started talking to one of the Chinese guys and said, hey, what are you going doing? They say, we can see these things developing. You can't patent something like this because spiral cutters in the engineering industry have been around for 60, at least 60 years. So there was no question of patents. There was no questions of the Chinese coming along and copying it. They could do it legally. So I, I, I stayed close to this guy. Uh, his name's Mike Zhu. He, he's got a factory up in uh, Qingdao in China. And I've, I've negotiated with him because I was aware that he was going to be producing some at the same time as the Americans were. The difference is the Chinese side, the labour is a lot cheaper. The engineering is very, very good. So basically, I've got a foot in each camp. I've got, I can either offer people the Shellex one from America or the Chinese one, knowing that both of them will do a full job. I've never actually used one. I've, I've used thicknesses, planes and thicknesses before, and I know I battle with them all the time. I mean, it's like sometimes you, you feel like you're just jamming that thing in there and trying to force it through. You want to hit it with a hammer to try and get it through sometimes. You think this can't be good for the machine. Yeah. And not to mention the noise factor is just incredible. Like I said, the noisiest machine in the shed. So do these just fit thicknesses? Do they fit any thicknesser? What's the go? You use the word thickness, or I use the word planers. The planers comes into three categories. There's jointers, which for straightening timber and squaring it. Thicknesses of bringing the material down to size. And then there's combination machines, which is a, where you've got a, a jointer over the top and a jointer and a thickness underneath, like the jet 12-inch uh, thickness that's here at the shed. Uh, the advantage with the combination machine is you can basically straighten a piece of timber, you can square it, and you can feed it through a thickness. So in, in one machine, you can take a bit of rough-sawn timber and turn it into joinery, joinery timber in five minutes flat. Yeah, wow. There's nothing. There's nothing more exciting than putting some, you know, an old crappy piece of timber through through a joiner like that, and it comes out like brand new. It's just amazing, incredible to see some of the grains and what can be achieved. I mean, even the guys that just, you know, they dress up old pallet timber and things like that, and they can make the most beautiful things from it. Well, by, by having a spiral cutter on there, basically the noise goes away from a workshop health and safety point of view. The quality of the finish on the timber, at 100, it's a bit like being sanded to 150 goods, takes away that 90% of the amount of sanding that you need to do in a workshop. Sanding is another workshop health and safety issue because people have got to wear masks and you've got to be aware of it. And nobody should be breathing wood dust at all. So if a machine can get you down to that stage very quickly, you can just about put your sanding sealer, your liquid, onto a piece of timber um, and, and start doing your joinery work without having to go through a sanding phase. And that's a big advantage. Mate, I want to have a listen to these things. I want to wonder if we can do a comparison. All right, we're in the shed with the boys. We're just, we're just setting up now. So we've got two thicknesses set up. We've got uh, one with the, the spiral cutters and one without with just the straight, the straight cutters. So, so what have we got here, Rob? What we'll do is turn the machine on initially. And this is a jet um, portable thicknesser and it has a carbon brush motor in it, which is more like the power tool motor. These things create a fair amount of noise in their motor side. The, 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 but you will hear when you're planing, you'll be able to pick the difference in the sound coming from the cutter block because this has got straight knives in it, this machine. Okay.
Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's noisy. That's yeah. how I remember it. Bloody hell. Yeah. Now, some of the noises come from the carbon brush motor, but yeah. most of the noise you could hear there is the oh, cutter block because yeah. there's two knives in there. It's like a screeching, screeching kind of, yeah, crazy sound. So the other machine we're moving over to is the... Um, is a jet 20 inch thickness and it's got an induction motor in it so that, the motors run quieter so the, the cutter block is the thing that's going to be more predominant in the overall sound but you'll see that it'll be very quiet all right let's give this one a go that that's almost a pleasure to listen to I mean, you, you can just feel it's, it's not working, it's hard, it's not scraping or dragging against that timber, it's like, yeah. Well, it, it's that slicing action that we were talking about. Absolutely, the, the, yeah. the straight knives have got a battering action, the, the spiral cutters have got a slicing action, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Well, mate, that was definitely a, a, an education for me, mate. They're, they're brilliant. Um, like I said, every shed that I do know that has these things swears by them. So, uh, mate, thanks for taking me through that. I hope we've given the listeners, listeners uh, a lot of information that they can take home and, yeah. No, thank you very much for the opportunity, uh, Marty. Thanks, Marty. By the way, have you checked out our bonus content on YouTube yet? The easiest way to find it is Google. Type in YouTube, then Australian Men's Shed Association, or even JPY's Men's Shed Jingle, and you'll find it. You can see the extended version of the jingle, including the shed band doing Yesterday's Hero. It's been very popular. There's also a video version of On the Tools in David's Shed from the last episode. We got to see his CNC router in action. I hope you enjoy it. Check it out. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rick Woodchip. G'day, Shadows, Rip Woodchip here. How you all going today? Ah, I just kicked back and cracked a cold one, admiring me freshly cut lawn. Ah, the simple pleasures, eh, fellas? I reckon mowing the lawn is like getting a haircut or making a bed. Or walking into a newly painted room, all clean and tidy, and ready to be admired by all. You know, since selling the farm, it's been the simple things like mowing the lawn that have filled a bit of a void in my life. A fella has to feel useful and like he's making a difference in the world, even if it is just his own backyard. My kids got me some of them Bluetooth earmuffs a couple of Christmases back too, so that's how I can listen to a bit of Black Sabbath or Engelbert Humperdinck, or even an episode or two of The Shed Wireless. Now there's a plug for you, JPY. All depends on the mood I'm in at the time. But there's something immensely satisfying about it too. When I get out there and mow, I'm in a world of my own. Completely engrossed in what I'm doing and not a care in the world. Unless I have to change the bloody cord and the whippersnipper, then I'm swearing like a sailor stuck on a sandbar. And then, at the end of the day, you can sit back and admire the fruits of your labour. I reckon mowing's a bit of a metaphor for me life, I guess. I'm sitting back here looking over and reflecting on what I've achieved with all my hard work, with a mild sense of pride, but also noticing all the imperfections and what I could have done a little differently with a trifle of regret. Like, I probably should have taken a bit more care with the edges, or I should have got rid of a few of those weeds before they spread, and I probably should have picked up that dog turd before I ran over it. But you know, no one else ever notices that sort of stuff. They always comment on how beautiful me lawn looks and how lucky I am. Yeah, 
It's always seemed like the more effort I put in and the harder I worked, the luckier I got. It's all just a matter of perspective, I guess. Oh, look out. Here comes the missus to join me with a cheese platter and another cold brew. And to shower me with some deserved accolades. Is that right, love? Anyway, fellas, better go. Catch you next time, fellas. See ya. Shed Story. Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight. Well, it's time for our Shed in the Spotlight. And uh, today we're going to talk to Andrew Simmons at the Hewenville Men's Shed. And uh, Andrew is the president. And welcome, 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 Andrew. Thank you, John. Um, now, I'm pretty sure you were involved from the very start of the Hewenville Mention? Uh, yes, there was a public meeting back in February 2016 and eight people formed a steering committee uh-huh. and from that we um, established a shed. Now, for people who aren't very familiar with Tasmania, can you describe where you are on that wonderful map of Tassie? Okay, so most people know where Hobart is, so we're 40 kilometres south of Hobart. Oh, okay, so you're getting even colder. Oh, not all the time. <laughs> Every time I, I hear that word Hewan, uh, it reminds me of the uh, Hewan Pine. Is that is that where the, the Hewan Pine comes from, that area where you are? Well, uh, it's it's more in the southwest of Tasmania, Hewan Pine. Um, I mean, it's certainly available from some of the sawmills around and specialty timber places. And so it is a timber that we do use in our shed at times. All right. Now, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, is is that the uh, the timber that you have to, you can only use timber that's already been felled i i believe that is the case now and they're actually recovering timber from the um from the water from from right down the bottom of areas they've flooded and uh-huh. basically it doesn't rot and i know that's you know, the amazing quality of that stuff isn't yeah. it it's uh you know there's i mean i i've i've seen boats made entirely of hue and pine and uh to me that would be the holy grail if you if you had a boat made of that Oh, look, it'd certainly stand up to everything you could throw at it, I think. Um, if you, I, I think the on the West Coast, if you did the Strawn River Cruise uh, and there's a sawmill there, you can see them cutting hue and pine and you can buy hue and pine from there quite readily. That's where I've seen most of my hue and pine. I mean, I, I can show you small trees, sort of uh, probably the thickness of a broomstick, <laughs> A broom mm-hmm. handle, which are about 80 years old as you go up the hill and river, but that's about as big as you get sort of close to civilization at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Now, in your shed, Andrew, uh, what sort of activities uh, do you get, get involved in? Okay, so in the um, time that we've been established, um, we've, well, we started off with a metalworking area, which uh, we chose the site for our shed because there was the local PCYC, which is the Police, Youth and Citizens Club. And when that was constructed, they had one big area known as the project room. And the project room had about in excess of $100,000 worth of metal uh, working equipment from full-size guillotine, folding gear, uh, milling machine, um, welders, um, metal lathes, yeah, sandblaster, everything like that. That was only being used a couple days a week. And, And so we asked if we could use it say five days a week the other five days as it turned out the programs that they had running there which were for disengaged youth and youth at risk 
um, haven't been running for the last few years. So they, they haven't had anybody uh, or any funding to do it. And it used to be run by the policemen associated with the PCYC. So we've had the run of this particular area and uh, we maintain the equipment and we've got a user agreement where we can, well, we do repair work for the PCYC. It can be anything, patching walls, painting, um, any other repair work that we're qualified to do. We, we don't have any qualified electricians or plumbers, so we don't touch that. We have this arrangement with them, and, and that's where we started off using that particular area. And then we progressed to getting funding to build a woodworking area separate. Because as you probably realise, metalwork and woodwork in one area is not a good mix. Uh, no. So we've got quite a large woodworking area, which is fully fitted out now. And we also, our members, we built our own amenities room um, with, you know, tea-making facilities, toilet, shower, things like that. How many members do you have, Andrew? Well, it was 65, but I think I just did an induction for four people over the last two weeks. So we're oh, getting right. almost up to 70. And we do take males and females, so we've got probably 15 female members on our books as well. Well, that's that's fantastic. Now, I hear you have, uh, I think, one of your your crowning glories at that shed is a, a vehicle hoist. Uh, yes, we do have a vehicle hoist. It gets used on quite a regular basis for people to do, well, whatever repairs they're qualified to do. <laughs> oh, right. So they bring their own vehicles along and muck around with them there? Yeah, we, one of our members is a qualified mechanic, so he's the one always responsible for putting the car on the hoist and taking it off. Yes. Um, we also get people to sort of understand that and sign to say that they agree that any repairs they do do themselves, they are responsible for. Uh, but most people just do a normal oil change. Um, yeah, that's, that's the most common thing that happens, or tyre rotation, things like that. Now... What's the atmosphere like in your shed? Are they big talkers or do they basically keep to themselves? Oh, no, look, there's, there's some good talkers around, that's for sure. Um, and look, people turn up at nine o'clock and often you, you won't see any work done until after morning tea, sort of 10.30, because they've been busy catching up, talking, and haven't really picked up the tools. <laughs> I suppose that happens in a lot of sheds, though. <laughs> Oh, I think it happens in a lot of workplaces too, man. <laughs> Certainly, I, I I have seen a change in, in quite a few members when they first turn up. They're sort of quiet as mice, and um, they're very shy. And they may, and after a while, they tend to come out of their shells and they're laughing and joking with everybody else. You can really see the change that um, comes through attending the shed. That's for sure. Well, you know, that's exactly what the shed's all about, isn't it? You know, it certainly so, is. Yeah, you're doing your job there, that's for sure. Now, have you had any particularly memorable projects? Almost ready to set up a program with Edmund Rice Camps and they sort of take on board sort of dis disadvantaged children, maybe kids that are in, in foster care, etc. And it'll be the first program, it's going to be a pilot program in Australia between a men's shed and Edmund Rice Camps. And we hope you're doing like two hours woodwork with them a week. Yeah. Um, other projects, we've got a lady, I think she's early 80s. She's building a coffin at the moment. Oh. Uh, there are a few sheds around to have their own coffin clubs. It hasn't, but we haven't got one of those. But I know there's a coffin club down the road. 
I just think that's just so, you know, because death is is a part of life and, uh, you know, for, for people to um, to be so accepting of, of things like that, I think it's just a marvellous thing. Well, I, they tell me you can build a coffin for about $300 and you just use as a bookcase to it that's needed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I was going to ask you what the real value of the men's shed is, but I think you've covered it. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> I think the real value is the friendship that you get here, uh, the help that you get. There's there's always somebody who, who knows how to do something and help you out. Um, and so there's a wealth of knowledge and people from all sorts of backgrounds, whether it be computers to mechanical to woodworking or um, welding. There's, there's people who've had some wonderful experiences and are willing to share them and share their knowledge. Well, that's just fantastic. I, I, thank you very much, Andrew. I mean, it sounds like you know you've you've got a, an amazing uh, setup down there in Huonville, and uh, you know you're doing wonderful things for the community as well as doing wonderful things for yourselves. So, uh, congratulations! Uh, okay. That was Andrew Simmons from the Huonville Men's Shed. Our shed in the spotlight this time around. You're listening to the Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world. Okay, it's time for us to get into another one of life's great activities, fishing. It's one of my passions, and I know I'm not alone. So I hope you'll enjoy me sharing a few stories of memorable catches from years gone by right here on the Shed Wireless, because I'm going to introduce you to one of my fishing mates from a long way back, Roman Buchatsky, also known as Butch, and uh, Butch and I met way back in about 1975, and that's where our fishing adventure started. And uh, ever since then, Butch has never, ever had a line out of his hand. He's always fishing. Uh, so welcome, Butch. Welcome to you too, John. Thank you for having me along. So we're just going to have a chat about what we used to get up to back in the 70s. Yeah. Um, because uh, we basically met through uh, a drummer in my band, Johnny Dick. Yeah. And... Uh, and from then on, we had many, many adventures out off Sydney Harbour. That's that's and and outside of all sorts of places up and down the coast. Yeah. So we travelled a lot because we ended up having a boat together, and um, Johnny Dick and I had it first. Mm-hmm. And then you came along, and uh, we took over, and um, we did a li- even a bit of commercial fishing down the coast. So yeah, you know the kingfish and snapper and all that sort of stuff. So. We've had a long history of fishing, and the first thing I remember about you when we first met was um, through Johnny Dick, basically. But uh, you were you were sort of supporting uh, Stevie Wright because Stevie Wright had just organised the you know the Evie 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 thing. Yeah, so, yeah, the Evie days. Yeah, yeah, and um, you you used to come on to do just a couple of songs during the show. Yep, and uh, so. You would do, oh, I think it was Pasadena and I, or and yesterday's, yesterday's hero. hero. Yeah, that was all I which had, which is very prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we met and um, casually one day you said, "Oh, I like, I like," because we, Johnny Dick and I used to go fishing a lot, and the boat. And you casually said one day, "Oh, I like, I don't know, do a bit of fishing." And Johnny and I sort of poo pooed it, you know. There's uh, this little, oh, you're very this unkind. Young, this yo- young little whippersnapper. You know, it's, yeah. it's not even a, you know, he's not even a household name, and he wants to come fishing with the, you know. The, the boys. Very unkind people, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> let me tell you right there. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, like we said, we, we used to go fishing quite a lot. And 
it's amazing. I couldn't believe how many fish there were right in front of us in Sydney Harbour of yep. all places, one of the busiest harbours yep. in the world. Yep. And uh, we managed to catch quite a lot of fish in that harbour. Yeah. And and the harbour, uh, to its credit, uh, well, to the credit of the DPI that are looking after it, they banned uh, commercial fishing mm-hmm. like they have here in Lake Macquarie. Yep. And ever since that happened, the fishing's gone gangbusters. It's in Sydney Harbour now, uh, kingfish are the main target, mm-hmm. and they're catching kingfish over a metre there and on a daily basis, and uh, tailor and salmon and all those flathead and all that sort of stuff, which we'll get into later on. We might uh, do another segment later where we talk about the specifics of catching fish. So Yeah, I think we should, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Now, um, I can't let this whole segment go without reminding you yes. of the terrible treatment you gave me <laughs> when I caught my first marlin, uh, fittingly at the Sir John Young Banks yes. uh, off Nowra. <laughs> And uh, and we were fishing for... We were fishing for snapper, uh, basically, and we had live baits out the back for yellowfin tuna. That's right. And uh, the, the, the technique then those days was just to use 50-pound line, nylon line, straight through to the hook, put a yellow tail on the back and throw it out the back and hope to get a yellowfin tuna, which we often did. Mm-hmm. But tinny old John here hooked up onto a marlin and... <laughs> We just looked at him and said, forget it, it's going to come off because a marlin's got a, a big long bill that's it's like sandpaper and you normally use a wire trace or a very heavy trace and so after five minutes John fighting it, he's starting to look as though he might land it. Well, the thing was that what you're supposed to do if you uh, hook up a speedster like a marlin is ditch the anchor and the anchor rope, like tie a life jacket onto it yep. or something get rid of the anchor and follow the fish. And I'm sitting there asking him and the other fella on the boat to uh, to ditch the anchor so we can chase the marlin. And they just laughed at me and said, you're, ne- you're never going to get it in. You're never going to get it in. Well, I did get it in. Yes. And uh, we caught the marlin. I think it was around about 120 pounds, something like that. It was, that. Uh, I think, 75 kilos. 75 so kilos, about, yeah. About 150 pounds. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I was astonished uh, – a couple of years ago, I was looking through some old photos, mm-hmm. and here's the photos of my marlin, yep. and not one photo had me in it. <laughs> it was only I, I must you. have taken the photos. <laughs> yeah. I took the photos. Oh, took the photo. <laughs> and so after, after these guys refusing to even help me with my marlin, they're the ones who lined up to have their photos taken with it. But I, as I remember, you took that marlin home, and you had it cut up and you distributed it to all your friends and relatives. And yes, you actually I did. ate that marlin. The story these days is most marlin that are caught mm-hmm. uh, are released. You know, yeah, that's true. For I've caught many since and they've yes, all been released. Yeah, I yeah. know you have. You've, uh, you've caught a lot, many more marlin than I have. But that particular one, it was the first one in the boat, I think, ever caught in the boat. So yep. we kept it. Yep. And we utilised it. We didn't waste any of it. Yep. If I remember rightly, you took it up to your local butcher. I did. You're living at Bronte. That's, and he put that's it through indeed, the bandsaw. That's indeed true. <laughs> <laughs> but he had to clean everything down oh, properly. No. <laughs> Could you imagine Imagine the uh, lamb chops afterwards if oh, you had no. to clean the marlin out of it? <laughs> now, I'll just uh, – we'll talk about one more memorable catch. And this, this time it's your memorable catch oh, really? that you caught off uh, Ben Buckler when you, uh, you were – Fishing for bait, I believe, and that's, you saw a true. very large splash yes, happen out behind yes. you. Yes, that that was a that's probably my. People ask me what's the best fish or whatever you've caught in your life, and you know they say was it the biggest barramundi or was it the biggest marlin? And 
But this particular case, I was out there on my own, off Ben Buckler, off the old Merck. People, people would know the old Merck. Yeah. It's the old sewer outlet. Yeah, the poo ben pipe Buckler. there at, uh, at South Bondi. Yeah, it was North Bondi. North Bondi, yeah. sorry, yeah. And uh, the old story was that people swimming anywhere near the Merck were just going through the motions. <laughs> 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 so, anyway, I was there on my own and uh, catching live bait at the edge of the Merck where the yellowtail like to live. And I uh, saw a little splash out of the corner of my eye and wandered over there and put the live live bait in. Next thing, big yellowfin tuna come along and took off with it. And about half an hour to an hour later, I managed to land it on my own. So that was the, the, the best catch of ever that I've ever been involved with. Okay, because I was on fantastic. my own. And I couldn't gaff it because there was another occasion, which we'll probably go into later, when you, you managed to gaff my biggest yellowfin. That's true. That's very true. And we'll keep you in suspenders for that. And uh, we'll come back with Butch and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how to catch a fish in the next episode of The Shed Wireless. Thanks a lot, Butch. That's okay, John. Got a question? Ask the doc. Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. Okay, so none of us are getting any younger. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who has aches and pains. But if you suffer from chronic pain, that's pain that lasts for more than three months, I bet you know a thing or two about the different types of pain relief. You've probably tried a few different options to try and get it under control too. In Ask the Doc, we sit down with Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Mail and Stuart Torrance, the Men's Health Project Officer at the Australian Men's Shed Association. Take it away, boys. Thanks, JP Way, and g'day, Shedders, and welcome back to Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Mail. Oh, g'day, Stuart. How are you going? Not too bad. I bet when we start talking about opioids, some people might think that really doesn't apply to me because they assume we're talking about heroin. That's an opioid, right? Well, yes, it is, but uh, we're also talking about a whole range of medications, ones that you probably know by name and in the past may have commonly been prescribed. Uh, now, these class of drugs are natural synthetic drugs, which are related in some way back to the opium poppy, uh, and that's the family of uh, drugs we're talking about. These opioids include any drug that acts on the opioid receptors in the brain. So these receptors in the brain tend to depress the central nervous system. They slow down messages between the brain and the body and slow the breathing and heart rate. And they also tend to release dopamine, uh, which leads to sensations of pleasure and pain relief. And that's, of course, uh, how they're used to try and improve pain. So we're talking about pain management and effective ways to manage it. It must be so difficult for people to find the right pain relief and pain management tools. So why have there been changes to the rules when it comes to prescribing some of these opioid medications? Well, pharmaceutical opioids are now responsible for more deaths and hospitalisation in Australia than are illegal opioids like heroin. In fact, uh, I've lined up Dr Jessica Tiedemann today from the TGA, or Therapeutic Goods Administration, so we can be absolutely sure about what the changes have resulted from this uh, very important realisation. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks very much for having me. Jessica, can you give us the latest details as to why the TGA reviewed and brought these new rule changes and guidelines into place? Yeah, thanks. As you mentioned, um, 
while opioids um, can provide very effective pain relief in certain situations, um, their use has increased dramatically um, over the last couple of decades and we see a lot of problems associated with them, as you mentioned. So um, many deaths and many more hospitalisations and and um, overdoses and related mostly to prescription opioids. Um, and so it was in line with action taken internationally um, and a growing recognition in the medical community that there were many potential harms associated with these medicines. Um, the TGA undertook some regulatory changes to try and um, bring how these medicines are used in practice into, into line with the best evidence about how we should be using them. Right, I can see... Uh where the rationale was for the changes. So can you outline what changes have been made? How has this uh, very concerning situation been addressed through the rule changes? Yeah, so probably one important point um, to clarify about what the you know TGA is and does. Um, so we're part of the Department of Health and we um, are responsible for effective and timely regulation of therapeutic goods, including medicines. Um, and so we're not about directing clinical practice or, or funding of medicines, but specifically about um, the regulation. So the changes um, that have been involved was um, changes to the indications of a number of opioid medications. So where they were previously had um, sort of more broad uses that they were registered for. We've made those narrower, um, more in line with the evidence, the best evidence for, for their use. Um, we've also um, introduced in conjunction with pharmaceutical sponsors, smaller pack sizes um, for immediate release opioids. So ones that are usually used short term, often after people go home from hospital after surgery and things. So not replacing other pack sizes, but to facilitate um, use for shorter periods of time, um, lots of additional information to the product information labelling and also consumer medicine information leaflets, um, so more specific information about these potential harms and risks associated with these medicines, both for prescribers and health professionals and also for patients and consumers. So Jessica, these, these rules have been uh, changed in lots of other countries as well and not just here in Australia, is that right? Yes, that's that's correct. Um, certainly internationally. So in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration or the US FDA um, a couple of years ago did um, very similar changes um, because lots of countries are seeing um, similar problems. So lots of harms related to um, sort of overuse or abuse or misuse of these medicines. So from a layman's point of view, let me just see if I can uh, get this right. The changes are about getting everyone to consider alternatives to the go-to medications that we've used in the past for pain solutions and pain relief and look outside the box, so to speak, looking at, say, uh, short-term use of uh, uh, opioids but then transferring to other um, pain management uh, systems and, and products um, by limiting the packs, understanding better the effects and the types, as well as reviewing the need for the applications. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. The the aim of these changes is not to have um, consumers or, or or health professionals suddenly, you know, making snap decisions that okay, we just need to stop this without any consideration, or um, you know, just swinging completely in the other direction. Um, it's about making sure that people are aware that um, you know, just because a medication is prescribed doesn't mean that that there aren't potential risks or harms and that really I think for a long time the benefits of opioid medication particularly in the chronic pain space were probably overestimated and and what we know now is that they're often you know very effective for short-term acute pain relief but that they have a limited place and limited benefit particularly over the longer term and for for sufferers particularly of chronic non-cancer pain so for for pain related to cancer um, that can be more chronic then they, they are still very effective but that often for for patients or consumers experiencing chronic pain who are on opioids that there's actually a number of um, potential harms and in fact it can cause what we call hyperalgesia which can actually make increase people's sensitivity to pain so while we may prescribe these medications to improve pain they may actually be having detrimental effects so you're absolutely right it's about getting consumers and health professionals to have that conversation is this the best treatment for you are there alternative options because we also know particularly for chronic pain that other modalities so physical therapies um, psychological therapies you know all have an important role to play and prescribed medications and opioids really are are but one increasingly small part of chronic pain management. Thanks very much, Jessica. In our next podcast, when we ask the doctor, we're going to delve a little deeper into this by looking at the pros and cons of opioid pain medication. Yes, and uh, let's also discuss some of the side effects of opioid medications, which may come as a surprise to many listeners. Talk to you when we're next on The Shed Wireless. And thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to mailhealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. Shedder in the Spotlight. Let's meet and learn about the life of one of our shedders. You're about to meet a shedder who has an extraordinary travel story. He packed his customised 1995 Land Rover into a shipping container and sent it overseas for a grand adventure, pre-COVID of course. I'm talking something like 40 countries throughout the US, South America, Europe and Africa. Especially if you're missing your travel at the moment or you need some inspiration for your own bucket list, I think you're going to enjoy his story. Let's say good day to Rob Davis, who's a member of Hewenville Men's Shed in Tasmania. Hello, Rob. How are you? How are you going, guys? All right? Yeah, pretty good. Now, how long have you been involved in the shed and what's the thing that you enjoy about it? Well, I've only been involved for a couple of years because we've travelled a lot, as probably get into. But, yeah. Um, that's mean means because of the travel, um, 
I only get down occasionally. So um, it's to have a chat and a cup of tea and maybe use some of the tools. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to get more uh, involved in the shed as, as time passes. And we oh, do, terrific. and we're doing less travelling. Yeah, so you're sticking your big toe in at the moment. Now, your background. You mentioned that you've you've been doing a lot of a lot of travelling. Um, now, even to the point, I've found out that you took your own four wheel drive overseas. It must be one uh, amazing unit you've got. No, it's not very amazing the unit at all. <laughs> it's only oh it's a <laughs> 1995 Land Rover, a tray, and. Um, uh-huh. The probably amazing thing is that I managed to build a camper on the back of it about 11 years ago now, mm-hmm. and um, that's made it um, more usable for, for travelling. Uh, it all started off, to get into another aspect, is when we retired, uh, Gail yep. and I, my, Gail, my wife, took a trip to Antarctica, and part of that trip involved a time spent in South America, uh, the bottom mm-hmm. half of South America and Argentina, and... Um, camping and we looked uh, in a campground at a big 12-ton truck german registered and um that was just sitting in the campground i thought wow look at that um we could do that and we have been after seeing that vehicle so uh, this uh land rover you've got is it is, it, is that the the uh, defender is it the yeah, sort of thing it is? yes you're right it's a defender 130 which is a bit longer mm-hmm. than the normal ones. Um, mm-hmm. I had it before um, we went on the trip. I've had it for 25 years, actually, 26 years this year. And oh. um, so I already had the vehicle and um, I thought, well, why not replace the camper that I had on it, which I'd also built, which was very heavy steel clad yep. uh, with a lighter one. So I looked at different types of materials and I'm a tradesman by background, uh, metal trades and a yep. teacher. So I thought I'll look for materials that are lighter because uh, it was really straining under the weight of the camper that I had on it. So I found mm. a material fiberglass composite and went about over a 12-month period in the garage in Victoria where we were living then about building this camper. Now, what sort of engine have you got in this, this vehicle? Is it a V8? Oh, no. no two and a half, two and a quarter litre diesel. So, oh, okay. So, that, well, that's that's uh, that's pretty economical. Where have you been with this amazing vehicle? Well, the first trip eleven years ago, we sailed to uh, put it in a container, the vehicle, because I made it to fit into a shipping container, uh, yep. which is the general way of shipping things around. Uh, although you can row row, which is drive on, drive off. But the first mm-hmm. trip was in a container to Canada, and. Um, we had a bit of trouble getting into Canada. They didn't want to insure us. Uh, there's a continual nightmares as you travel this way, uh, things that you have to confront. But uh, we got to Vancouver, uh, drove up uh, or got a, a ferry up along the Canadian coast to Antarctica, not Antarctica, Alaska, and mm-hmm. um, then drove down through Canada along the Rockies into the States Um Spent uh, three months in the States because that's all you can get on a visa, temporary visa, and um, down into Mexico and then um, back into America. They let us in again after a very short stop. Um, And that was uh, basically the first part of that trip. Now, it must have been a bit of a nightmare with registrations, insurances and... 
No, that's not so hard. Um, that's the okay. easy bit because if you've got a vehicle registered in your home country, um, yeah. you are allowed to take it anywhere as long as it's got a roadworthy and it's registered oh. in, in your country. You can drive on your own number plates. Oh, well, that's that's worth knowing. That's a, that's, that's yeah, a great big bit of info, yeah. Yes, it's not that hard. Uh, insurance, uh, you have to tee up when you get to a place. Canada was hard because it's a first world country uh, and they, they're a bit like here. If you modify a vehicle or it's got this on it and that on it, they want to ensure you was different type and all that sort of stuff. But eventually we nutted it out and got uh, temporary insurance in Canada, which enabled us to drive through America on the same insurance. What, what were you away for about six months on that trip? We usually go away for about eight months, six to eight months. Uh-huh. It's all driven, uh, driven in a lot of regards by the weather. Um, yep. We don't want to be in northern, like in Canada, for example, in winter. So when the weather deteriorates or we run out of time in a particular country, which more than likely happens, like in America, you can only visit for three months and you've got to get out. And you can't just go to the nearest country and come back. You have to exit several countries before you can get back into a place like America. Wow. So, I mean, uh, you must uh, go through the mill as far as uh, security checks and uh, customs and everything else. Do, do they go through you like with a fine-tooth comb? No. <laughs> no, well, they that's don't. Good. Um, <laughs> you could you could chip your grandmother in the boot if you wanted to, <laughs> and they wouldn't check. Um, but having said that, that's um, that's most of the world. Um, generally speaking, they don't they don't look at all. You can put anything in there. Although we've been to South America on a couple of occasions now, and Colombia is the one that stands out um, as the ones that do. They make you empty your entire vehicle onto the ground. And they yep. have sniffer dogs, and they sniff through all your product, all your boxes, or you got to open everything and put it back in. But that's the only country. Everywhere, everywhere else is pretty easy. After all these travels, is there any anywhere that that really stands out? You can't pick a place. I love right. South America, um, uh, the Andes, and you know parts of Chile and uh, Patagonia is stunning, absolutely mm-hmm. mind blowing. How often did you? Did you feel like you were out of your depth? Only when I'd upset Gail. (laughs) (laughs) I do the mechanics, the breakdowns, Uh which are many. Um, I've broken down four occasions, once in Albania where the um, vacuum pump on the brakes exploded and leaked oil everywhere. Norway, we did a head gasket, uh, which I had to get another head gasket from the UK, so we were there for a week. I you did it all yourself? Yeah, I do my own repairs uh, mm-hmm. because I'm not very trusting. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I felt that I, I, I've got an interest in things mechanical. So sure. uh, if you haven't got that interest, um, you could be a bit out of your depth, I guess. Well, Rob, it sounds like you and Gail have had an amazing time, you know, and I, I was going to ask you what, what skills uh, that you could bring to the men's shed, but, I mean, after hearing all of that, I'm sure you, you're overflowing with all sorts of skills when it comes to the shed. Oh, I'm full of it, as I say. Like you said before, dipping my toe in the water of the men's shed is has been great because, you know, you get to mm-hmm. know the people in the area um, and, um, yeah, it broad, broadens your life out in that, in that regard. But it does take time and, unfortunately, yep. with so many things that we try and fit into our lives, it's, um, you know, it'll come later, I think. Well, thanks very much, Rob.
That's about it for this episode of The Shed Wireless. It's great to have you listening. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get next month's episode straight into your inbox. Don't forget, you can get in touch with me by emailing theshedwireless at menshed.org. I'd love to hear your ideas for shed topics, special guests, ask the doc, and any bits and pieces you'd like to contribute to the podcast. Theshedwireless at menshed.org. And if you know someone you think would like to hear the podcast, but they might need a bit of help to set it up, see what you can do to get them started. There's a simple just press play option on the website menshed.org forward slash the shed wireless. That's it for this episode. I look forward to catching up with you next time. Bye-bye. So